I grew up in a dysfunctional household with uh, uh, my dad being a chronic alcoholic. There was a point in my family of origin where an older brother and uh, his wife uh, instigated an intervention with my dad. His drinking was getting worse as I was getting older in, in high school, and, and it was apparent that, you know, this was not bad, and, hey, we, it was an intervention done. You know, what I think is one of the things she said was, uh, you know, this seminar is great, but Jesus Christ is free. Wow. So we had been dating for two years, and she says, you know, I, I like you, and I would like to move forward in my relationship, and I'm looking for a commitment. And I wanted to bolt out the door. And... Uh, I'm in the restaurant and we're having this discussion and it just cut me to the quick. It really sliced my pride that I was, it was a revelation that wow, I was prideful and that, gosh, would I pass up on somebody that loved me? That was powerful. This podcast is about life change. Sometimes that change happens because of an event or circumstance that makes us realize that we are going the wrong direction. However, sometimes change happens because God brings someone into our life that causes us to question our life, to question the path that we are on and the choices that we are making. Sometimes God speaks to us loudly and so clearly through the people that we meet. Has God ever brought someone into your life? Has God ever got your attention, knocked on your door, bumped into you, said something intriguing to you, done something spectacular, or maybe even loved you when no one else would? Can God invoke change through other people? These are the questions that I want to ask our guest today as he tells us his life change story. Hey, friend, why don't you introduce yourself and let the listeners know who you are? My name is Steve. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. He's my higher power, and I struggle with sexual addiction, pride, and anger. Hey, Steve. So glad that you came to join me today. Um, we've known each other for several years, but we haven't really had one of these kind of conversations, so I'm really looking forward to talking with you. So the listeners don't know you at all, so why don't you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and tell us a little bit about your family. Okay. Uh, I guess family of origin was it was what you mean. So I'm the youngest of seven children, um, born and raised in Southern California, lived there for 42 years, um, you know, lived the Southern Cal lifestyle with uh, going to the beach, palm trees, deserts, and uh, playing basketball, and uh, uh, moved to Arkansas uh, 19 years ago. So seven? You're the one of seven. I'm the youngest of seven. That is a large family. Yeah, my dad was in the military and the Marine, uh, the Navy, and so you know he's out, come back, and out serving and come back, and we're all about two or three years apart. So, what was it like to be the baby of the family of I, seven? I probably was pampered a little um, bit, maybe. Yeah. Um, yes, that's correct. So, what's the age difference between you and your oldest? Gosh, um, fifteen, sixteen years. Okay, so yeah, whenever. So so whenever you got to be three, four, five, six, was that was the, the others were, were leaving house? Okay, yeah, they were 
they were leaving. They were doing the next thing. So which one of your siblings were you closest to? Did you have one that you were really a uh, confidant with? Or how did the, how was it uh, growing up in your household? Uh, well, my dad was an alcoholic. Mm. So I grew up in a dysfunctional household with uh, uh, my dad being a chronic alcoholic. So um, there was an older brother who kind of acted like a father figure. And then another brother that... Uh, acted that way as well. But, um, there are two brothers of mine that probably I'm the closest with. So tell me, what was it like having a father as an alcoholic? Wow. Good question. I would say, uh, you know, he was unavailable as a dad and, um, that had an impact on me. So was there any faith in your family? Was, did, was God a part of that at all? Did you see any of that in your mom we, or dad? Or yeah, what? we grew up in the Lutheran church. Okay. So we went um, on a fairly routine basis. Um, I was involved with a youth group. Unfortunately, there wasn't any staying power. Uh, getting to those events and functions was difficult. And I just, for, you know, I ended up hanging around, getting around uh, other people that weren't of faith and we're exploring with drugs and, uh, you know, I'd seen the effects of alcohol on my dad and, uh, felt the effects of alcohol on myself. I didn't like that, but I sure felt like the effects of smoking pot. So I started smoking pot and hanging around with other kids that had that habit. So, so you saw alcohol in your dad and you saw what that was doing there to you and your family, but that didn't deter you from, you know, other substances. Yeah, that's correct. There was a point in my family of origin where an older brother and uh, his wife uh, instigated an intervention with my dad. His drinking was getting worse as I was getting older in, in high school. And, and it was apparent that, you know, this was not bad. And, hey, we, it was an intervention done. Bottom line was, hey, Dad, we have a problem here. Instead of not talking about it, we need to address it. And not, you know, there's this pink elephant in the room and nobody's talking about it. So this was the first time we ever talked about our feelings about it, its impact on us. And it was, it was, um, it was powerful. I had to go to some Al-Anon meetings, as I recall. And so it was an, uh, an eye-opening thing about this. So I knew there was dysfunction and that I had a problem as my dad being an alcoholic and the family dynamics all around that. And part of the terms, as I recall, of that uh, intervention was I think my mom was going to separate from him if he went back to drinking. Well, that didn't happen. And I saw this cycle, this dysfunctional thing continue. It laid me frustrated and angry. And it was the same, you know, there was no change. So what happened after high school? Did you go directly from high school to college yep. or did you, okay. So okay. where did you go yeah. to college? Uh, I was on the 10 uh, year plan. Uh, <laughs> took me a while to get through school. I was working in, and uh, I tried to do the, uh, rock musician thing at one time. So working and playing music and in a garage band and that really didn't go anywhere. And, uh, I'm in college now when I'm waiting tables, um, you know, going to school and I share my background in history with a coworker. And, um, she suggested that I, Hey, um, I'm in my mid twenties at the time. And she said, hey, there's this, um, this program that I'd like for you to check out, you know, because this, this person was like, oh, you, you know, understand your background and, and it's, you know, this could help you. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. It was a secular humanist program to help you make your life work. Okay. And the requirement of that was you had to be sober 
for the terms this was a week-long seminar you know um a week-long seminar they wanted you uh basically sober so yeah okay i probably can do that and i'm like well i'm a recreational user of uh of drugs and alcohol and um i decided to attend you know she encouraged me to do this at all check this out at this seminar i met my future wife she was sent there by her company and this woman was a christian and one of the processes in that group there's probably 300 people and this is in the uh the ballroom of a hotel you know, that in that ballroom, we had to find somebody that, you know, we could trust and tell them about yourself, you know, and I'm looking around this room of 300 people and I'm like, okay, we got to find somebody because panic starts to set in because I'm going to be stuck with somebody. And we connected and we talked that night uh, and met her and worked through that process. And we started dating shortly after that. So how open were you about your past and about your recreational oh. drug use? And were you oh, open with that man. at all or I, not? I, uh, yeah, I think I was. Um, we were in a Denny's probably till 3 a.m. that night talking. Okay. And um, we uh, we started dating shortly thereafter. But there was started dating and, and, and she was a Christian. I had a lot of questions about Jesus and, and uh, uh, indigenous populations that never heard the word of Jesus. And she was sharing something out of Romans 2.1, I think it is, about, you know, God is known throughout uh, the world based. It's his creation, you know. Um, so she had some answers for you, right? Yeah, she had some answers, basically. The Lord was working on me, and I was searching. You know, what I think one of the things she said was, uh, you know, this seminar is great, but Jesus Christ is free. Wow. So... Um, we started dating, um, she was going to a church up in Van Nuys. I'm down in Orange County and I would go up there and see her on the weekends and we'd go to church and, uh, Jess Moody was preaching a sermon and, uh, said, okay, I need to make a commitment. And so I, I dedicated my life to Jesus at that point. That's probably 86, 1986. And so, uh, started growing and we keep dating. So we had been dating for two years and she says, you know, I like you and I would like to move forward in my relationship and I'm looking for a commitment. And I wanted to bolt out the door uh, because my parents, the model of marriage wasn't probably the best model. So I'm like, okay. And um, this woman loves me. And it was like, whoa, I, I can't grasp that. That's hard. There's a lot of feelings there that we're not in check with, so to speak. And um, there was a woman that, uh, I was waiting tables at a restaurant and she was a regular customer of mine. And uh, we became a, a, a good friendship. My wife had written a sonnet or copied a sonnet out of a Shakespeare book. It was a love poem. And I shared this with this woman and she goes, oh dear, she loves you. She <laughs> was beautiful. This woman was a uh, probation officer really? with, with the county. Their offices were nearby the restaurant. She came in on a regular basis. And uh, um, so she worked at a really interesting uh, segment of population. And, and she said to me, you know, she loves you. And we had some other conversations. And, and I was like, well, you know, I was hesitant because my habit with pornography and pornography telling me that a woman had to look like X, Y, Z. And the reality was my wife 
this girl I was dating didn't look like XYZ. And Marie, the probation officer, said to me, she goes, Steve, Miss Perfect doesn't exist. And besides, she doesn't want to date you anyway. <laughs> and uh, I'm in the restaurant. We're having this discussion. And it just cut me to the quick. It really sliced my pride. That I was, It was a revelation that, wow, I was prideful. And that... Would I pass upon somebody that loved me? That was powerful. So uh, we moved forward, um, decided, you know, she was sure that she wanted me in in her life, but I was not, and worked through that. And so we got married. We're moving on in life. Um, We start going to a a purpose-driven church, and so... We're going, learning and growing, and um, they have this process at, at the church where they want you to assess um, elements of your spiritual journey that you could use in ministry. And um, I did that, and this gentleman by the name of Paul, um, I met with him and went over this stuff, and he goes, oh, you should get plugged in and celebrate recovery. And... Uh, I said, okay, just because of the being an adult child and alcoholic, there are a ton of character defects that are represented as growing up in that dysfunctional uh, household. And I thought, okay, this is, okay, wow, okay, I need to explore this because I'm, I'm stuck. And why am I stuck? Well, I, I, I know there's some, there's some problems with my growing up in a, in a household where there was an alcoholic father and, and what, and, and the consequences and dynamics involved in that. So what did you learn that first year that you, whenever you started going regularly to celebrate recovery, what did you learn about yourself in that first year? Um, uh, Working through that step study, there was a tremendous amount of anger, resentment, and bitterness towards my dad. Now I processed some of that in that secular humanist program, but there was another dynamic uh, in there. Um, working through that it was it was eye opening and it was very refreshing to process and release that by sharing that with you know in that program we have a sponsor and so it was very cathartic and healing to let go of that and the Holy Spirit was working in me in that things started to change when I when I did that first group session, step study. I mean, I was growing as a believer, but to plug into working through all of that material and unpacking anger, resentment, and bitterness towards my father. And I had some anger and bitterness towards my mother, which I was really surprised was revealed. The secular humanist stuff, I, I, that was all about my dad, but through working the step program, with the Holy Spirit involved in that, there was there was some revelation about some re- anger and resentment for my mother's lack of following through with the terms of the intervention, mm-hmm. and so um, it was it was that where things really started to change in that step study. So where did that lead you after you went through your first step study? Also, did you say I'm I'm going to stick with this, or what, um, what happened? 
after that first step study got involved in that, this is where that process of identifying where you could be serving in ministry. And I was committed to being involved in the program. Paul said, hey, this would be great for you. So um, I wanted to be involved in leadership. That was okay. the next step. And so I um, participated in that first session, uh, first step study. And the second step study, I uh, became involved in leadership. The second step study it was as if the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Steve, you have to deal with your secret sin. Mm, what was that? And it was my use of pornography. So was that going on? We haven't talked about it much in your past, but was that been going on since since high school? Probably, all the, yeah, high school. All yeah. the way, all the yeah. way through, even your your marriage, right? And I thought marriage would address that, but and did it, it? But it did not. Mm. And um, that second step study was like God was wanting me to be clean and, and wanted to use me, but it's like, hey you need to work on this. So the second step study worked on a lot of my personal sexual history and processing that and kind of focused on that in that, in that second session or second group of guys that worked through that. And, um, it was very healing. It's such a powerful attraction and it's toxic and it never satisfies. It's a lie. And it's it? a lie. It's a lie, and Satan gets his hooks into you and I or into me or other people that are struggling in this area. Man, it, and it can be destructive. So after that, that second step study and you started dealing with that issue in your life, did you have some good sobriety over the pornography? It was growing, but here was my job would take me uh, across town into uh, parts of... Uh, LA where there were porn shops. This mm. is before the internet, but I, this was my thing. I had unaccountable time. I was alone and I would go into these uh, places and view imagery and take that all in. And um, I'm working in the second step study. I'm like, man, I, I need, this is, this is crazy. I'm alone. I can do this. I'm by myself. No, I'm being transformed. And I, man, I got to lean into my relationships with others. I need community in here. That's one of the great things I realized. I wasn't alone in this, mm. that having community in this around me was helpful. And, you know, they. I wanted to go into this porn shop one day and I called my sponsor and we, ha and we start having it. And I was like, hey, I want to go in here and do this and I want to engage in this material. And he took me off the ledge that day. And we had a, a good conversation. I didn't. I didn't go in there that day. You know, a couple of days later, I've got to go to a, a, my job's taking me out there, and and I'm like, uh, you know, moth to the light there, you know. And uh, I call him again. We have a conversation. We have a conversation about dating my wife and not looking where the grass is greener, but water my own grass. And. Um, I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm taking in a little bit of a word, and it's that compulsion starts losing its grip over me. And um, it felt so good. Did you come clean to your wife about some of these issues? Yes. 
So whenever you moved here and you got involved uh, in recovery here, because it was kind of a probably a nice transition, you were already in recovery in California and you were already working in that ministry and you came here and started working in that ministry. So what do you tell guys now? I mean, you've done multiple step studies here. So what, what do you, what's advice do you give to men who are going through that for the first time? Submit to the process. Mm. And John 15, five comes to mind. Okay. I am the vine. You are the branches abide in me and I abide in you. For without that, you can do nothing. Get connected and stay connected. <laughs> right? Yes. Get connected to the vine and abide yes. in the vine. So, yes. Yeah. So, what advice would you give to someone who's listening today that maybe has a similar background to you? You know, they're an adult child of an alcoholic. You know, that's what that's the way you grew up. You grew mm-hmm. up with an alcoholic, and there's some maybe some resentment, some hurt, some pain from there. Maybe they've uh, medicated or, or done whatever. What advice would you give to them? that says, hey, I realize that there's a problem, there's an issue with me, I feel broken, How, where do I go from here? My encouragement would to be start unpacking some of these um, feelings and emotions and uh, unpacking some of the behaviors that may be getting in the way of where you need to be and invite God and His Spirit in you to work and, and transform you, being open to His... Uh, guidance and then at some point hey uh plug into the program where there's a systematic material that helps unpack some of the deep hurt right i love that lamentations 340 that says let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the lord and that's really kind of what you described even in your first and second step studies where you examined your life and you did a deep inventory, a deep dive into your psyche and into your feelings. And as you did that, uh, you returned to the Lord. You returned, you turned your focus to God. And as you turned that, then God started, you allowed him into those areas of your life and you started receiving healing. So are you still sober from pornography? And yes. so how, how long do you celebrate sobriety over that? It's 18 years. 18 years. That's amazing. One day at a time. One day at a time. Thanks, Steve, for sharing your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and you feel God is speaking to you through Steve's story, maybe God has brought someone into your life. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a loved one. Or maybe it's a future loved one. Whatever the case, God is speaking to you. Will you listen? Are you willing to change? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.